Are you ready to perform at your highest potential? Welcome to the Performance Matters Podcast from GP Strategies. In each episode, we'll interview industry experts, exploring best practices and innovative insights to help you and your organization improve performance. I'm your host, Jeremy Shear. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. My guest today is Dennis Bonilla, a digital learning transformation strategist in the Workforce Excellence Group at GP Strategies. Dennis, it is great to have you on the podcast. I'm excited to be here. Thank you. So our topic today is improving performance through workforce transformation. But before we dive into that, tell us just a little bit about your background and about your role at GP Strategies. Sure. So I've been in the workforce development, human capital development my entire career. Started that when I was in the Navy went on to commercial power plant training, uh, went to technology, and went to a variety of different industries, but the entire time was around workforce development and workforce transformation. Currently working with GP Strategies on a variety of digital learning transformation projects and uh, you know, bringing companies into the 21st century as it uh, relates to digital learning, the tools, the technologies, and the processes to execute on that. Okay, very cool. By the way, when were you in the Navy and for how long? Uh, I was in for uh, six years. It was in the uh, late 70s, early 80s, and I was uh, Navy nuke Mm. and uh, was uh, stationed aboard a uh, ballistic missile submarine, the USS Kazmir Pulaski. Really? A nuclear submarine? That's interesting. Yeah. Okay. We could do a whole podcast about what you learned from that experience (laughs) and how you apply it today on your work. Well, everything is about excellence in the nuclear Navy, and that set the tone for the rest of my career. Okay. Well, so great. Let's get into the topic then. Um, So many organizations these days have a multi-generational workforce. You have your baby boomers, your Gen Xers, your millennials, Gen Y, Gen Z, and something called Generation Alpha. That was a new one to me, which evidently refers to the kids of millennials. So how has this generational sort of alphabet soup transform the workplace? And what does it mean for L&D? Well, I'm just glad we have 26 letters in the alphabet because we can go (laughs) through another 25 more iterations of generations. I probably won't (laughs) be able to see all of them. But, you know, it's interesting because now we do have about five generations in the workforce. And what's really interesting, if if I think back to when I entered the workforce, you had education till you were about 21. You went into the workforce and you were preparing for retirement at uh, you know 55 or 60 and your life expectancy was maybe you know 80 that's all changed now you know kids born today are probably going to live till 100 105 so retiring at 55 or 60 just is not feasible and if you look at these generations let's say the baby boomers which i am part of you know we've gone through a couple of recessions stock market crashes the you know, the uh, bubble on the internet. And because of that, there have been a variety of different financial challenges that that generation has experienced. Hence, they are working longer. So now L&D departments, which in the past were able to provide very clear pathways, you know, you came in, you had a ladder, a career pathway, and you knew where you were going to go. You knew when you were going to exit and you knew where you're going to retire. Now with five generations in the workplace, it's totally different. There are no fixed pathways. There's a lot of movement. Uh, you know, I call it the difference between the palm tree and the oak tree. You will take many assignments today, some of them lateral moves, some of them you know, moving up, and some of them maybe even moving down so you can then move up again. 
So that's creating a lot of consternation for the L&D departments because obviously different generations learn differently, or at least they propose to learn differently. There's this claim that the baby boomers are not as digitally savvy as the younger generation, but I can tell you from my own personal experience, I watch as many YouTube videos to figure out what to do as uh, young kids today are just using you know, their videos and Snapchats and Instagrams, et cetera. So it's just putting a lot of pressure on the L&D departments to, uh, to satisfy five different generations of learners. How do you work collaboratively together? How do you, you know, mix these young leadership uh, models coming in with the more established older models? And uh, it's creating quite an interesting time for L&D departments. Yeah, I can imagine. And now I think that probably how well all of that works and what L&D has to do to deal with it probably depends at least in part on how well prepared the younger folks coming into the workplace are being prepared, say, in college to actually meet the business needs of their employers. Now, you've worked in higher education at the University of Phoenix, so you have some direct insight into this. What, what do you see in, in terms of that? Like, How well are younger folks entering the workforce being prepared to contribute? Well, this is a, a key observation because you know, if you remember back in the Middle Ages, education was very limited. It was only available to very few elites, and it was, you know, primarily managed by the church. Then as the Industrial Revolution and the, uh, uh, you know, additional technology started coming in in the 1800s, then, you know, the state took over the education and really started looking at how do we, you know, scale the education so that we can man these industries, these new industrial revolutions, the new machinery, et cetera, et cetera. And then in the 20th century, we started seeing you know, that education was being burdened a little bit more on the corporations because they were needing people trained specifically in the types of technologies or skill sets that they needed inside their companies. But what's really interesting is that, you know, people coming out of college today have a much different expectation, both from the employer and from the employee side around how well prepared I'm going to be. You know, there's a lot of press you'll read around uh, that colleges aren't doing enough to prepare young workers for the workforce. But the reality is that the skills needed in the workforce, at least the technical skills, are changing very rapidly. So what I needed to learn, you know, when I started my college career is probably very different technically than what I needed to learn when I exited my college career. So we can't be focusing on so much on the technical skills, but I think what colleges and universities need to focus on are those skills that are really going to be important no matter what happens in the future when you graduate. So for instance, there's a big emphasis now on what I would call the softer professional skills, mm -hmm. you know, creativity, mm -hmm. collaboration, critical thinking. Yeah. How do you manage change? How do you manage communication? You know, how do you drive cultural fluency? I mean, you still need business and digital literacy, but these other skills are much more eternal. So colleges now are beginning to understand that, you know, having a degree in the fine arts or the humanities is as important as having a degree in computer science. Not everybody's going to be a computer scientist or a data scientist, nor do we need everybody to be, but we need everybody to have those communication skills and those creativity skills. So as these unknown future scenarios evolve, as we go into AI and other types of technologies, doesn't matter, you know, 
what your technical skills are, you'll be able to upgrade those fairly quickly, but you want to have some really strong foundational professional skills. Mm -hmm. It's a great point. I mean, do you sense that universities, broadly speaking, are doing a good job of preparing younger workers to, in those skills, creative thinking and so on? I, I think they are. I think they're not as overtly obvious because you normally will not see a lot of curriculum that says, oh, you know, you're going to gain certain communication skills or critical thinking skills in these particular programs and courses. But I can tell you from having been at the University of Phoenix that we embed all those skills in all the courseware and all the programs we did. But I think, you know, some universities feel like it's not their job to prepare you for the workplace. It's their job to sort of, you know, open your mind and be available and be a critical thinker. Uh, others are very specifically focused on preparing you for the workforce. And then, you know, higher education is having its own challenges, just staying relevant, because as all these things are changing and student debt is increasing, we're finding that community colleges are playing a much stronger role between business and education and getting the skills in the local community that are needed to address the skills gap. And we see that there are certain big universities, for instance, uh, Arizona State University has a whole new model on how to prepare their students for the modern workplace and the modern workforce. And the types of programs that they're offering as degree programs are much more tied to what the future will bring than degree programs that maybe have been sort of archived or a little bit not relevant, even though they only may be five or 10 years old. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So now with, with so many employees of different ages working together in the same workplace, that creates challenges not just for L&D practitioners, but for workers themselves, right? And I think if you find yourself on the older end of that spectrum, like if you're a boomer, then you might be dealing with ageism in the workplace. And I, th I sense this is a growing problem. How are organizations handling this issue and how is it impacting uh, what's known as the talent gap? Well, yeah, you've hit on one of my personal hot buttons, being a baby boomer who is seeing what's going on in the workforce. I mean, it's not, nothing really new. I think there's always been ageism and uh, discrimination against age. I mean, we have laws that are supposed to protect uh, you know, workers over 40. But I can tell you, if you look in the technology industry specifically, where they're now beginning to have to report out on the age demographics of their company composition, you'll find that many of them, the average age is 32 or 35. And you're finding that, you know, if you're in the technology field and you're over 40, a lot of times you won't even be considered for an interview, let alone, uh, you know, get a job in that sector, which is really sad. What's interesting is, you know, I was just reading a couple of reports over the last couple of weeks, and the number of U.S. workers over 75 will double over the next 10 years. Think about that. Workers over 75 will double over the next 10 years. And the reason that's happening is, is you know, is a variety of factors. But one is, you know, they're living healthier lives. We're taking better care of ourselves. So we know we're going to live longer. Some of that is financially driven. So we want to make sure that we stay relevant and we have uh, the right income because you're necessarily not making the kind of money that you were making in early in your career. And now you're going to live longer. So you want to be able to have enough to be able to, to you know, survive that. Two, you know, you have purpose. You want to stay engaged. You want to stay relevant. And so there are more and more workers that are uh, 
in their older 60s, 70s that are very relevant. And I think they're important for companies to realize that, you know, there's a skills gap. And we know that the demographics of the children being born today is less than the death rate in the United States. So you're not generating as many kids as you need to keep growing and, uh, you know, sustaining the workforce. So in many countries, uh, Japan and others in the in Europe, they've already seen that effect for many years, and they don't have enough young people generating enough uh, talent to be able to drive the economy. And so now you look at, well, you know, if you're not going to pay attention to those over 40, 50, 60, or 70, and you think you're going to depend on the young ones coming in, well, you know, those generation X, Ys, and Zs, and now alphas, they're going to take longer to have kids. They're delaying having kids. Now you have less people to drive uh, your economic impact. You have older people who want to make an economic impact. And I think there needs to be a cultural shift on both sides, from the older workers and the younger workers. How do we collaborate? How do we find common ground? How do we make it so that we value each other's contributions, whether it's the older workforce's experience and having seen many things, or whether it's the younger workers' enthusiasm and their desire to drive a lot more innovation or different thinking, or they think they have different thinking than the older people. The reality is we all have a lot of skills that if we work together, we'll be able to handle these problems much more efficiently than if we just try to isolate one generation from the other or you know one younger group from the older group. I think that's just a big miss. And uh, you know we've seen a lot of uh, lawsuits that have been uh, filed recently and claims filed where you know, it's not just something we think this might be happening. It is happening. And unfortunately, you know, that needs to stop. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I would think that if you're an older worker, there are all kinds of challenges you might have to deal with, ageism being just one of them, probably. And another might be, although I'm sure it depends on the individual, is just the the rate of change, especially when it comes to technology and stuff like AI, right? Artificial intelligence. And, and maybe this is a challenge for, for all workers, not just older workers, but say a few words about that, sort of the impact that AI especially and technology generally is having on transforming the workplace. Well, you know, some people might say that artificial intelligence is the great story of our time. You know, it's not a question of whether the robots are coming. The robots are here. I mean, how many examples have we seen of the machines that have beaten world-class chess players, that have beaten a lot of different gaming-type challenges and have been able to perform better than, than the humans. Uh, you know, there's a lot of different examples of devices and Internet of Things that are coming together to drive this sort of anxiety that is being felt, I believe, is being felt as much by the older workers as it is by the younger workers. You know, there's always a fear of, you know, are we going to have layoffs? How, how will the company structure change as artificial intelligence is coming into play? What are the industries of the future? I think one of the things that people don't realize is that there is a budding effect that happens as these tools and technologies evolve. And, uh, you know, people don't realize that, you know, when we went, let's say, for instance, something as simple as uh, a lawnmower, right? The invention of the lawnmower you know, created a tremendous amount of industries because until the lawnmower was created, you couldn't have predictable fields that you could actually perform sports on. So if you look at the lawnmower being invented in the uh, 1800s in Gloucestershire, England, 
and you look at the budding effect of that lawnmower, it's led to the creation of a $620 billion sports industry, which would have been very difficult to envision in 1827. And it's that you know stunning lack of information, of, of imagination, to think that today's technology advances won't also have a large-scale budding effect in the future. You know, electricity gave us telecommunications, the movie industry, radio, television, transistor. The automobile gave us the suburbs. It gave us McDonald's. It gave us Walmart. The Holiday Inn, it gave us NASCAR. So these things have a budding effect, but the reality is we don't know what the new industries will be. Hence, we don't know what the skills are that we need, and we don't know how it's going to affect us. But I think what would be interesting is I think, you know, most of the studies that have come out, I think there was one that came out from IBM recently that said globally 1.3 billion workers will have to be reskilled over the next 20 or 30 years. That's a incredible number, right? And the reality is some jobs will be replaced and the, you know, the estimates range from 12 to 15%. And there'll be new jobs that will be invented and some of that ranges from 12 to 15%. And then the remainder in the middle really are going to be enhanced. And we'll find ourselves working with our you know, digital assistant who will handle a lot of those repetitive tasks for us so that you know we can focus on the rich engagement and the rich interaction. So for instance, even in your job or my job, we might have you know, this robotic automation processing that would allow us to have a rich conversation, all the task of setting up for the webcast and the monitoring and all that is done automatically through automation. And we focus on the rich interaction. Same thing in the classroom, you know, those repetitive tasks of, you know, grading exams, et cetera, et cetera. You know, those could be things that can be automated through robotics. And then the instructor can facilitate time on those rich interactions and give personalized learning. Yeah, sure. Well, I, you know, I'm hoping there's still a little time before robots can take over doing podcast interviews uh, which would put me out of a job, but but I'm sure that's probably coming too. I mean, there's already AI technology. Like if you call some businesses, you might be talking to a bot and you might not even know it. Or that's certainly, if that's not happening now, it's coming for sure. Well, I'll give you a great example. So Georgia Institute of Technology actually conducted a class where the teacher assistant, you know, most professors have a teaching assistant. In this particular class, the teaching assistant was a chat bot. And the whole entire class went for the whole semester. The chatbot answered all the questions that were posed to it as if it were the teaching assistant, and nobody ever knew they had a teaching assistant that was a chatbot. Mm. Wow. That's uh, interesting. Yeah. All these things are there. Some of them are already here, like you said, and there's lots more coming right down the pike. Well, it's that pace, right? It's the pace is so quick. I mean, it's just changing, changing. That's why I think those foundational skills are so much more important than any specific technical skill because that technology just keeps advancing and changing. Yeah, great point. All right, Dennis. So uh, we've covered a lot of really interesting ground here. Let's try to sum it up a little bit. What are some of the main things that you want our listeners to take away from this discussion? Well, I, I think the key thing that I would tell people and what I tell you, uh, younger people that I mentor is probably the key skill that you have to develop today is the ability to learn, unlearn, and relearn. And you know that might sound fairly simple, but it's not as simple as we would think because we create a lot of brain muscle memory on how we learn things. And then we 
it's very hard for us to unlearn that muscle memory and just sort of empty our minds out and say, I want to think about a new way to learn. So learning, unlearning, and relearning is a key skill. The other thing I would say is, you know, this concept of the growth mindset. Uh, you know, Microsoft did a great job with Satya Nadella when he came in to change the culture at Microsoft when he said, you know, it's important for us to transition from a company that knows it all to a company of workers that want to learn it all. And, you know, it, you just have to follow the transition over the last five years and see how Microsoft literally came back from the dead to be, you know, the most valuable company in the world today. So you've got to have that growth mindset. You have to be open to new ideas. You have to be open to constantly reskilling yourself because it's really, you know, nobody is going to take responsibility for your development other than yourself. So you have to decide that you're going to make a constant effort to reskill yourself, that you're going to have an open mindset, that you're going to want to learn new things, that you want to learn, unlearn old things and relearn new things. And if you can, you know, focus on those things, then I think you, you know, you're going to thrive in this crazy changing technology environment that's surrounding us that's constantly changing. It's only going to go quicker and quicker. And, you know, the uh, human mind, you know, can reach a certain level of cognitive overload. So you've got to be able to sort of almost, you know, erase that hard drive every once in a while, or at least portions of the hard drive. So you have the ability to learn and think in new ways. Yeah, great. Well, which sounds Pretty challenging, a little daunting on the one hand, but on the other hand, it's probably easier than ever to find the information that you're interested in, right? To at least find the resources that can enable you to learn new things. Uh, you just have to be willing to look for them. There's so much free resources out there today. I mean, between all the MOOCs and the YouTube videos, and everything. I mean, if you can't find what you want to learn for free and you want to go pay for it, you can do that too. Yeah. But the reality is... There's somebody out there willing to teach you something new for free if you're willing to look for the time to get it done. Yep, absolutely. Well, and we hope that this uh, this podcast may be one of those resources. Uh, we hope people tune in and they can learn about uh, workforce transformation. So, Dennis, thank you so much for your time and for a great conversation. Hey, thank you for having me. Anytime, love to come back and update on what's going on. This has been great. The Performance Matters Podcast is brought to you by GP Strategies. Together, we can create a world where business excellence makes possibilities achievable. You can subscribe to the show anywhere you get podcasts and listen on our website at gpstrategies.com slash podcasts.